0: The World According to Gorf.
1: Shalom,
2: shalom, shalom, shalom. Hi everybody and welcome to The World According to Gorf on The Stunt Show on The Nachum Siegel Network. Today we mark two holidays. The first and more well-known one is the holiday of Shavuot. Shavuos It commemorates the date when the Jewish people received the Torah. Shavuot literally means weeks, and it's the culmination of counting seven weeks, from the story of Passover and our exodus from slavery, to our ultimate revelation at Mount Sinai, which forged us into an indomitable nation, one that prizes a towering intellect as the ultimate source of strength. It's no surprise, then, that the holiday of Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, has become a festival of learning. Around the world, to usher in the holiday, the people of the book, that is, us, the Jews, will be pulling all-nighters, immersing ourselves in Jewish study and texts, and coffee and cheesecake, of course, as we show our unending enthusiasm for engaging in Torah learning and living. That's our cue for the introduction to this episode's theme, Engaging and Innovative Jewish Education and Educators. We'll visit with a good friend and my personal inspiration, a musician and teacher who's touched the lives of everyone who listens to the Nachum Siegel Network, whether you realize it or not. He's literally just achieved a lifetime milestone. It was just announced as we went on the air. I'll explain what that is in a couple of minutes. And we'll close out the hour with a Shavuot themed Torah me Star Trek by our favorite Starship physician, Dr. Jeffrey Lautman. So stick around for that. But first, let me kick off the show's theme of innovative and engaging Jewish learning by sharing with you a passion project of mine. Long-time listeners know that I'm super into stoking Jewish identity and pride through the production of music, in particular acapella music, and also comic books, cartoons, and animation. Today, with comics-related media more exciting and popular than ever, the ultimate Jewish superhero story is getting a contemporary makeover, a reboot, if you will. During Passover, on this very network, specifically on JM and the AM, I launched a crowdfunding campaign to support production of the Passover Haggadah graphic novel. Expected for Pesach of 2017, that is to say next year, the book will feature the unabridged original Haggadah text side-by-side with a corresponding comics section for all to follow and enjoy. That's right, you'll get... The original kosher text on the right and on the left, you're going to get the comic book adaptation. Pretty cool, huh? If I may ask, please go now on your phone, tablet, or laptop to www.JewishCartoon.com slash Haggadah, and you'll see the amazing art and also a fun introductory video. That's www.JewishCartoon.com JewishCartoon.com slash Haggadah 2 G's 1 D This Shavuot as the Jewish people celebrate learning the wish to strengthen Jewish identity and continuity through literacy is on our minds. Please share this campaign to produce the Passover Haggadah graphic novel so that next year parents, grandparents and children of all ages can make their way back to Mount Sinai in a graphic novel format guaranteed to engage generation after generation. That's right folks. No more will you hear the plaintive cries of, When do we eat? Go to www.jewishcartoon.com slash Haggadah. Speaking of engaging generation after generation, today's guest has just been announced as a recipient of the prestigious Covenant Award for Innovative, Inclusive, Impactful, and Creative Education. I'm talking about none other than, drumroll please, Daniel Henkin, director of music at the Ramaz Upper School in New York, and Camp Ramon Ayak, and of course, Queens College, Tees and before that, Solomon Schachter, Camp Nasher, Flatbush Yeshiva, and countless other institutions going all the way back to his days as a student at Columbia University, and before that, at Ramaz. And speaking of Ramaz, as Rabbi Haskell Lookstein, principal of the Ramaz School, is quoted on the Covenant website as saying, quote, Daniel Hankin is much more than a music educator. He is a Jewish educator whose students come to love Judaism, the Jewish people, and the state of Israel because they love him, and they love what he stands for. Amy Scott Cooper, director of Camp Romaniac, sums him up very well. Quote, he is first and foremost a Jewish educator who pushes everyone to sing and harmonize to their full potential and, in doing so, makes every child and young adult feel like a star in their own right. End quote. As an arranger, conductor, and director, Daniel Hankin has helped pioneer the contemporary Jewish a cappella movement. He teaches students from age five to those well into their 70s, injecting the power of Jewish engagement through music across and between generations. Earlier, I said that listeners of the Nachum Siegel Network have been touched by Daniel Hankin, whether they realize it or not. The reason is because of the style of music that's dominated these airwaves for the past seven weeks. I speak of a cappella music. And without Daniel Hankin, Jewish a cappella, or a cappella that's Jewish, would not have achieved the prominence that exclusively Jewish vocal music enjoys today.
3: Shadriella Yadhasimcha Kizekol Mashani Mecha Pesbah Kavali Sophikolakis Al Mutagim Mefot Setim Kiatachi Afabediz Tmudim Naguf Meshuf Safim Tihikina Nasirizom Shadriella Yadhashtutvechon Kizekol Mashani Mecha Pesbah Kavali Sophikolakis Al Mutagim Mefot Setim Kiatachi Afabediz Tmudim Naguf Meshuf a Pespa <tose> a Tiafah ni tonni mitzoni avalani i'm a buy to khani
2: May I introduce to you the godfather of Jewish a cappella Daniel Henkin Godfather?
4: Kiss the ring.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the reason that you are called the godfather of Jewish a cappella, Daniel?
4: Uh Jordan, the reason is that you have called me that. <laughs> um, but beyond that, um I've I've seen myself as more of the uh, uh, a godfather of Jews in acapella. Um, the Jewish acapella part has come has come over the years, but I've been doing this
2: uh, for a long time. Why did you form an acapella group for Jews, and what was that group called? I formed a group called the
4: Columbia Clefhangers. That was in the uh, spring of 1988, and I was a junior at columbia college in new york city and i was looking to sing in an acapella group um a regular secular american college acapella group um and as i guess uh necessity is the mother of invention after trying out for the all-male group on campus and not getting in three times running uh decided if you can't uh if you can't join them, you start your own.
2: Acapella, that's Jewish, started as a breakaway. How appropriate.
4: Secondarily, I was looking to be able to sing secular acapella, but not have to worry about uh, Shabbat concerns. So I started the Cloth as an alternative co-ed acapella group, and we would write on the flyers, no Friday night performances. I don't know what I would call the Cloth Hangers, uh, a Jewish a cappella group in any real sense of the term. It was a it was a secular a cappella group that was available to Jews. So uh, the Jews in a cappella is how I sort of see that. We were offered sponsorship by the Columbia Hillel initially when I started the group, and I politely declined because I was concerned that we would be viewed as a Jewish a cappella group, which would translate into only getting Jewish students. We weren't singing Jewish music. Uh, there was no reason to restrict our membership to just Jews. Uh, this was, this was, um, I guess, part of the American dream, uh, uh, allowing uh, observant Jews to be involved in the in the um,
2: in the culture around them. It was the dream of all Jews at that time to cover Casey in the Sunshine Band? That is absolutely <laughs> exactly. true. Exactly. I am careful to differentiate Jewish a cappella and a cappella that Jewish people performed in, secular a cappella groups that they performed in. To your knowledge, were there any Jewish a cappella groups as we've come to know them at that time?
4: There was Pismon, Uh When I say there was Pizmon, I think um, there may be some disagreement, depending on who you ask, as to when they started. I believe Pismon says that they began in 1986, which would have predated the class Hangers. Um, my recollection uh, is that there was a group called something like Jewish Outreach Through Music uh, through the Hillel that went and performed Jewish music Perhaps acapella or exclusively, I don't know, uh, at in various uh, senior centers and other places doing Jewish outreach, but that it became uh, what is now known as Pizmon at some point afterwards.
2: My recollection is that Pizmon was more of a choir at that time, mainly because most of us didn't really know what acapella was, even in the secular world. cappella was just being formed. Uh, there may have been a couple of other professional groups that were influencing us. I can't remember when Spike Lee's Do It A Cappella.
4: That was later. That was 1991, I
2: believe. Okay, so that was about the time that I got into it. So, I when would you say that choral Jewish choral music began to morph into what we now know as a cappella? Jewish choral, choral music is
4: more about um, independence. Uh, lines and so it's it tends to be more polyphonic, it could be imitative, and they're often saying uh, every line has a often has lyrics. Um, so the the outer line, the tenor line, each line could often stand on its own, and it's about the, the horizontal lines and how they come together. Contemporary a cappella uh, is more about a solo saying words and background saying syllables, often trying to imitate instruments. Uh, it's more. Um, Sometimes it's more homophonic, uh, where we would see it's about vertical chords and color and things of that nature. Um, So in that way, whether it's Jewish or secular, that would be a distinction. I mean, the the Jewish choral movement is, I guess, known best through through Zamir, um, has been around for a long time and certainly... It predates any of the Jewish contemporary a cappella.
2: Definitely have to give a tip of the hat to Mati Lazar and Zamir and Hazamir. I know that one of my foremost experiences with performing Jewish a cappella was at one of the Zamir chorale festivals over the summer. and We'll talk about that a little later, perhaps. But I'm curious tell us quickly after, well, what were you doing at Columbia University? And chart for us your graduate, postgraduate, and career path so we get an overview of your illustrious career.
4: Sure. I, I was, uh, I can, well, I can begin with my first a cappella experience because that would probably be relevant here. Um, after going to, to the, the Ramaz School in in Manhattan um, and graduating from Ramaz and I had begun getting into singing there in high school um, and not necessarily a cappella but just some singing and harmonizing and my first experience with a cappella was not Jewish at all. I was in Israel for a year and I returned home for, for Pesach vacation uh, looking forward to my freshman year at Columbia and my I grew up right near Columbia and my father had been a professor there and I remember walking over to Barnard's campus on um, on uh or Yontif one of the one of the days of Pesach and sitting down on the lawn and there was a uh, performance by the Columbia Kingsmen the all male secular a cappella group and it was probably the first time I had heard contemporary a cappella and I sat down on the lawn and these ten guys come out all American good looking uh, college guys and with no instruments and but but save for a pitch pipe and they blow that note and they open their mouths and I was blown away <clears throat> and and though I'd studied music uh, I'd played like piano for years. And this was this lit a fire under me, and I was I, I was determined that this is what I wanted to do. It was it was eye opening. Um,
2: so, not to mention the fact that you had all those fawning Barnard coeds that probably had some influence on your decision as well. Yes. Uh,
4: yes. Uh, I mean, I will I will readily know there was a huge huge social component to contemporary acapella um, and contemporary collegiate acapella. Um, and um yeah, like there was there was a sense that um you were a local rock star. If you were in if if you were on a campus that valued a cappella and you were in that that top group, um, you were set. Um I I remember anecdotally a conversation when I was a senior. Um and I just started I was a junior, we declare because it just started, we were barely on the map and there was some Jewish kid. I don't know that he was involved in the Jewish scene of Columbia, but he was a freshman and he had just gotten into the Kingsman. And my roommate, who was a senior, turns to me without any irony at all after seeing him at his first concert and says, uh, I think his name was Noah, he said, Noah is set socially for the next four years. And, you know, that was was a big part of wanting to do collegiate a cappella. And that was, Also, um, part of the distinction at the time between the secular, doing secular music and doing Jewish music.
2: I recall very distinctly being at a concert that the Columbia Clef Hangers gave in Earl Hall, which was the cavernous yet intimate hall where most of these events took place. And it was absolutely filled up, and you guys took the stage, and you sang a Jewish song that was in fact in Hebrew. Do you recall the song and the circumstances of that song?
4: Uh, I recall a song. The song is called Horini. Um and uh, as with many things in the class hangers and in uh, the rest of my music life, um, there are often very personal decisions uh, that I make when coming to choose music. People ask how I choose music, and. I, I don't. I don't have a particular method. I don't even have a necessarily a theme. Um, I go to a song that speaks to me. So that song, Horeini, which I think was by Yerachmiel uh from the early 70s, uh, it was my favorite song. I remember as a kid at Ramaz. I remember learning it when I was in the third or fourth grade. And I, I, that was. I was not. Didn't have a particular affinity towards Jewish music. I really liked that song, and. I decided, you know what? Um, after the clefangers after the was established, this, this is probably, if you're remembering uh, the concert in the hall, my guess is it was at least our second, perhaps our third year being around. I would I would have been very careful to shy away from Jewish things in our first year because I didn't want to um, it, turn away either the secular Jews or the non-Jews uh, who might be interested in the hangers. Once we would established ourselves as a group, I must have decided, oh, I love the song, I'm going to do an arrangement. Uh, it was all oohs and ahs in the background. There were no words that anyone had to learn except for the soloist. Uh, the soloist was Jamie Opsbaum, who was Jewish and had uh, some Jewish background, so she was able to handle the Hebrew.
2: It was very influential. It sounds, by the way, like they're coming to take you away. So I'll try to make this as yeah, quick no, as possible. I'm just
4: trying to get you off of my apartment in Broadway. So it's a little noisy the big
2: city. Now I've got a little surprise for you, Daniel. I happen to have a recording of that song made at that concert, and I'm going to play it for everybody right now.
4: I, I hope it's good. But okay, looking forward to hearing it.
2: Horaini by the Columbia Clefhangers, circa early 1990s or so, recorded with a hand tape recorder by Gorf. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on the Nahum Siegel Network. Daniel, what did you study at Columbia? And you said you started at Ramaz, the venerable high school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. You eventually would come full circle back to Ramaz, fill in the gap for us.
4: Sure. I studied uh, music and philosophy at Columbia. I was a double major. Uh, I was there for five years. Um, I was, uh, as a child of a Columbia law professor, professor. I had the benefit of uh, uh, free tuition at Columbia, which um, allowed me to take my time there. So between the double degree and the fact that it was my junior year that I started the cuffhangers so the, the, the fifth year around, it, around me, another year with them, and time to finish off both of my degrees. After Columbia, I went to graduate school at Indiana University's School of Music, I uh, was in Bloomington, Indiana for two years and got a master's in music composition. After that, I moved to Baltimore for three years and was the assistant principal at Hezek uh, Munoz Bloom Religious School where I had a variety of roles, uh, administrative. I taught uh, Judaics and I ran their music program. And I started a uh, an adult community chorus there called Kol Rina through Hezek Synagogue, which is still around today. After Baltimore, I moved back to New York, uh, where I uh, got married, and then I worked for the next 11 years at Yeshiva Flatbush in Brooklyn and the Salma Shechter Day School of West Orange in New Jersey. I'm teaching music and directing choirs. Four years ago, I uh, came back to Ramaz after a 22-year hiatus and um, took over as director of music at the Ramaz Upper School. Uh, I left out, I realized, uh, in 1996, when I returned to New York, I started Tiz which is the Queens College Hillel Jewish a cappella group. I ran Hazamir of Manhattan for three or four years, and uh, during the summer, I've been doing choirs at camps uh, as varied as Camp uh Camp, uh, Camp Ramah in the Berkshires, Camp Nesher. And to bring us up to date, I am now um, at Ramaz, and I direct Tzimorit and uh, do a variety of choirs through Ramaz, from their third or fourth grade through an adult community chorus. So I have about five uh, five ensembles
2: currently. I would say that you are way underestimating your influence with a whole generation, probably more than one generation, of Jewish singers in the New York, New Jersey area, and by extension, all the places that your students have gone to post-graduation. Uh, I think that influence can best be summed up or exemplified for me by an experience that I had with you personally. We were at the Acapajusa, I think that's what it's called, event Mm -hmm. that Mike Boxer organized. That was at Makor back when it was on, what, 67th Street or something on the west side of Manhattan. They had a a nightclub-type atmosphere downstairs in the basement and about 300 uh, jockas, as I like to call them, Jewish acapella fanatics, crowded into the basement to see a number of different groups. One of them was my group, Itajon, and I would say that that's probably the best concert we've ever given. We, we just had such a wonderful time and got such a wonderful reaction after having come back out of retirement after five years of not singing together, sure. and uh, that it's a whole story about how easily it came back to us again. It shows the power of rehearsal, but I remember towards the end, the I, who was it? Somebody got up on stage. Maybe you, you remember exactly who it was and said, a show of hands, how many people here know Daniel Hankins' arrangement for, and I don't remember which song it was, there was one particular song, and just about every hand in the place went up. And and these were people from many different iterations and generations of choral groups and Jewish a cappella groups, and spontaneously the entire room broke out, 300 people in an cappella arrangement of your song, broken up into perfect four-part harmony. And it was just remarkable and moving to me to see how much you have, as I said before, influenced so many singers to love this kind of music, and more importantly, to be professional in their execution of this type of music. Which leads me to the next question, and that is... Talk to me a little bit about performance. When you are directing a group, whether it's your arrangement or not, what are you looking for in the performance?
4: That's a good question. When you say the performance, I would, I would focus I focus primarily on the music. It would be interesting to chart the direction contemporary a cappella, and by extension, Jewish contemporary a cappella has taken over the past 10 years. Um, I think when people say performance now they include many extra musical things such as choreography. For me, it's been first and foremost about about the music. Um it's about the preparation, um, the tightness of the sound, uh trying to be s- spot on with the entrances. Uh I would say that one thing I've gotten from that Hazamir experience was to think about uh, bridging the gap between the contemporary style and the choral style and things like uh, vowel shape and rounded tones that uh, people may think of more in the purview of the choral world. Um, those, Those can be brought to bear in making your contemporary a cappella song sound Sound uh, more attractive as well. So for me, it really comes down to the music, and I'd say only recently um, have I, you know, been paying a little bit more attention to to the look, I guess, and to choreography and things like that. That's not my. That's not why I went into acapella. It's not my strong suit, um, but I do see how it, it it can enhance a performance, and so I do think there is a value in it but it's not uh, where i put most of my energies yeah.
2: Or listening to the world according to Gorf on jm in the am dot while it seems that the technology has gotten better at recording the clarity of the voice and making such interesting sounds and textured and layered arrangements come to life one of the things that we've lost is the performance aspect that we used to have live Our pitch may not have been absolutely perfect, but there was an energy and most particularly an emotion that came through that I think many times gets lost or at least is much harder to maintain or find in contemporary recordings. As one of the few people arranging, performing, directing, and recording Jewish a cappella that spans both eras, the analog age and the digital age – What do you find about the challenges of getting a good performance, quote-unquote, on tape?
4: You've touched on a a big topic here, um, one that I had strong feelings about. Um, And uh, I'll see if I can answer your question uh, first. Um, I do think it is a challenge with uh, the way uh, contemporary acapella direction Contemporary alchemical recordings are taken now. Um, it is a challenge to get the that, that performance feel. Um, things like dynamics, um, uh, the, this, the the natural the natural ebb and flow of phrasing, um, those things can get lost. On the plus side, and which is I think uh, more compelling for many, which is why most people no longer do analog style recordings is, you know, the pitch is is perfect, the timing is perfect. In the a cappella world, it's the equivalent of using a Photoshop to touch up a picture to make it look just so.
2: Does it matter if the audience only really cares about the final product, not what's gone into it?
4: I have qualms about the direction that uh, contemporary Recordings have taken and what I feel is the increasingly, um, the increasing role of the engineer in the process. I feel that contemporary acapella recordings are are less honest than they used to be.
2: Ah, yes, the purest question, the need to be able to reproduce live what we do on a recording. I know I'm one of the people who kind of pulled you somewhat kicking and screaming uh, into the new recording age. Uh, with one of the recordings that I put of uh, Tiz Moritz onto BoJack, the Best of Jewish Acapella, Volume 1. And in fact, it's interesting, uh, although I have been, I, I don't know if accused is quite the right word, uh, of being a purist on BoJack, uh, that project took about five years to come to fruition, from the time it was conceived to the time that it was actually put out Part of the reason is that many of the Jewish a cappella groups sounded great live, but they had no clue how to record themselves in a way that sounded, well, sounded good. The stuff was sounding dated. It was very imperfect, um, even by the standards of recording around one microphone. So I had to actually put up some money to re-record or re-engineer, remix some of their songs, some of the collegiate a cappella group's songs, in order to get them to sound good. And... One of the things I discovered is that a great engineer will not only have mastery of the techniques, but also still not lose track of that great performance. So I'm wondering, in your experience, have there been situations where you have been actually wowed by the experience of being with an engineer or using the technology in order to bring out performance in ways that the old methods actually may not have been able to do.
4: I am impressed with what engineers can do uh, with acapella recordings. It's something I struggle with because I do find it, I mean, I use the word honest and that, that is a loaded term, uh, I understand. I guess what I feel is that one can say that it levels the playing field. By that I mean you no longer have to be a really good acapella group to make a really good a cappella CD. I would argue that the groups that weren't making good recordings probably weren't making great performances either. The Jewish collegiate a cappella scene has been uh, the poor stepsister of the secular scene for many years, um, and it has come a long way. And now um, it, I think it is, its it would be an interesting thing to chart the relation between the Jewish collegiate scene and the secular collegiate scene in terms of how these groups have developed, the kinds of music they're singing. For a, lo- a long time, there was really no... There was no good comparison between a top secular group and, a, and even a top jewish group and the, and the average the average secular group and the average jewish group they, they just weren 't on the same same level <laughs>
1: Bad la Gilde, Yemitam Risonat, the maiden Yelde, Gaboyo Nalle, it is Angelang Maho, what in your
2: Look at us now. I mean, we have groups that are trying out for the sing-off, and who knows? Maybe one of them will make it onto this upcoming third season. I think there's actually a good chance that our time has come. We've seen a viral video from a collegiate group explode into more than five million views. We've seen groups win uh, contemporary a cappella society awards and make it into the finals for national contests. So. And I should say also, I touched on this earlier, I was a judge at the Kol HaOlam project, which was billed as the first national collegiate a cappella, Jewish collegiate a cappella contest. And I have to tell the story that I was running a little bit late for the event. It was taking place in Washington, D.C. I was staying in Silver Spring, Maryland, and it took me a little longer than expected to get to the event after Shabbat was over. When I walked in, the speakers were playing outside in the hallway what I presumed was recorded music. It was Yerushalayim, Shal-Zahab, Jerusalem of Gold, and it sounded just wonderful, and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. I'm not late. They're still playing the the pre-recorded music while everybody's getting their seats, and then I walked into the auditorium, uh, which was filled with well over 800 attendants, and I was stunned to see... I believe, I don't want to make this mistake, but I'll take a chance, I believe it was Kaskasset that the University of Binghamton, that was on stage performing Yerushalayim Shel Zahav live. And at that moment, I realized, wow, we've really finally matured as an industry and can be every bit as good as our secular brothers and sisters. I want to talk a little bit about your arrangements. Earlier, we played one of your Columbia Clefhanger songs, "Horani," And when I was first beginning uh, to form B'Hajon and write original music for B'Hajon, still, besides 613, one of the only Jewish a cappella groups that performs original music, stunningly. Uh, a little shout-out, by the way, to uh, any of the collegiate acapella groups that are starting to get into original music. To me, that seems like the final frontier where everything should be moving. I mean, look, if Glee can do it, why can't we do it, right? Right. So at the time in 1991, I had nothing to go on. I had no way of learning how to write and arrange this a cappella stuff. There was no internet. I didn't know about any books. I didn't know about any resources, anybody that did it professionally. It was really uh, me going into your concerts and recording your songs and trying my best to deconstruct them. And in fact, the very first Beat song that I wrote and that we recorded, it's the first song on the very first Beat album, Vaya was influenced by your arrangements, the doot doos and the bop bops that One, you were doing two, at three,
1: that time. <laughs>
2: a little bit about how you go about arranging a song not so much how you did it then but how you do it now i that's uh difficult
4: to answer because each song presents its own challenges i try when i'm doing something in the contemporary style i try and um i try mix uh, what I think are fresh ideas and 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 new ways, uh, new vowel sounds, new approaches, new textures, um, with things that I think will work with my particular ensemble. I try to arrange for a group, um, or if I either for one of my groups, or if if it's someone asks me to do arrangement for them, I'll try and get as much information about it. Is it a college group? Is it a high school group? Uh, how many people do they have on each part? How how low can the bases go, Et cetera. So I, I I think it's important that one arranges with ideally a particular group in mind, and if not, you know uh, a, a a style or a level of group. So it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes there are good arrangements out there that are that are not uh, they're not done well because a particular acapella group can't can't handle them. And I'm sure the reverse is true as well. There may be some very good groups out there who are selling themselves short because they don't have the arrangements to to really uh, highlight their talents. <laughs>
2: The World According to Gorf. This is Gorf, your host on the Nakhilm Siegel Network. We've been talking with the godfather of a cappella that is Jewish, Daniel Hankin. Earlier, I was trying to recall the name of a song that 300 people spontaneously broke out into, in four-part harmony, all taught by Daniel Hankin at the Akapajusa Festival in the old Makor Brownstone on the Upper West Side. And it's just come back to me. And how appropriate the name of the song is because it really encapsulates Daniel Hankin's career. The name of the song is A Change in My Life. And here it is, performed by one of the groups that Daniel, Queens College Tease Moret performing it live at the aforementioned Kol Haulam Collegiate A competition in Washington, D.C. Enjoy.
3: Standing cold and scared on top of Blue Hill There came a moment I lost my will Pray for mercy, love, please take me away uh-huh. Give me sunshine when I only see gray uh-huh. Pass had a hold on me, it can't be denied And the changes don't come easily I've been lonely, I've been cheated, I've been misunderstood I've been washed up, I've been put down Told I'm no good But with you I low Cause you helped me be strong There's a change in my life Since you came along Whoa, whoa, whoa yeah
0: Now I don't mind working so hard give up everything just to love only you. Uh-huh. All my life I've held my head bent in shame. But now I've found you, and uh-huh. with you I remain. Don't you know? I've been lonely, I've been cheated, I've been misunderstood. I've been washed up, I've been put down and told
1: Crazy when the life is all wrong, and a heart, a heart gets weary when it doesn't feel love, And the road, the road gets rocky, love you've got to keep on. Let the new light keep shining. I've been washed up, I've been put down and told I'm no good. But with you I belong, cause it helped me be strong. There's a change in my life since you came along. I've been lonely, I've been cheated, been misunderstood. I've been washed up, I've been put down and told I'm no good. It's a love forever. Can you hear it? I can hear it in my heart. Oh. Can hear I can feel the power. I can feel the power around me. Is it changing?
2: Now it's time for your favorite part of the show Torah me Star Trek.
5: Welcome back to Torah me Star Trek, and this is our Shavuos edition. Don't forget the new movies coming out shortly. Today's Dvar in honor of Shavuos actually comes from the Nach class, which goes on at the Young Israel of Beechwood in Cleveland, Ohio, after the Ashkama Minion. If you are ever transported here or beam in, please come join us right after the Ashkama Minion on Shabbos. What we're going to show you is that the Abar was a big Star Trek fan. And the correct answer for today's quiz is either a movie or an episode from the Old generation, preferably, not old generation, from the original series. Godless, as they would call it. Let's go to Melachim Aleph, Perik, Tetzvav. Let me set for you this scenario. There is a new king in Yehuda, Aviyam. And in Melachim he only gets eight broken. In the seventh pasuk, it says that there was, milchama ha'isa between Aviyam and Yeravam. That there was war between Aviyam and Yeravam. The problem is Pasuk 6. There was a war between Rechavim and Yeruvim all of his life. That happens to be a quote verbatim of a Pasuk from an earlier Perek. So A, it is redundant. And B, Rechavim has already passed on. And C, you told me that there was war between Avim and Yeruvim. So why do I need to be told once again? That there is war between Rechavim and Yeravim. The Abarbanel takes this on and he tells us that Aviyam grew up during a state of war. And so, therefore, for him, Hismid Alav Hamilchama. That's the phrase the Abarbanel uses. Hismid from the word Tamid Alav Hamilchama. War became natural for him. War became the natural state of order. Well, therefore, what do you not pursue during? what you perceive as the natural state of order you do not pursue peace that's your clue to the movie however there is a much better answer and that is an episode think about it for a moment once again I want to invite you if you're ever in Cleveland to come to the young Israel Hoshka minion for Nach class we're ready for the answers Hishmir alava milchama of course, is for Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, where Captain Kirk is too used to the fact that the Clevelands will always be at war, and of course, he gets an education during that movie, gets to deliver one of his classic Jim Kirk soliloquies towards the end. As a matter of fact, the last scene of that movie was jealously guarded by Jim Kirk. Unless he got that scene, he threatened to walk out of the movie. Now, that was the answer given by one of the students in the class, and I have to give them credit for it. What I was thinking was from the original series, a great episode, A Taste of Armageddon. That's where they beam down to a planet that has a lot of culture, and they find out that they've been at war for 400 years with another planet. And, of course, you remember this episode, they fight the war with computers. For them, war has become too clean, or as a Barbanel would say it in his obvious prophecy, thinking of the Star Trek episode, Hismir Allah hamilkhama." If you're into Star Trek books, you can then read the book called The Trial of James T. Kirk by Peter David, where he continues this episode. I hope that you enjoyed this pre-Shavuos lecture, or Dra Torah, and I'm inviting you to go together with me and my wife to the Star Trek movie that comes out in a few weeks. Chag Sameach
2: And prosper. Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? Go to Facebook.com slash the World According to Gorf. That wraps another episode of The World According to Gorf. I am your host, Jordan B. Gorf and Gold Gorf on the Knockham Seagull Network. As always, to enjoy your weekly dose of Jewish humor, go to JewishCartoon.com and please check out this special link, JewishCartoon.com slash Haggadah, to be a part of my passion project, the Passover Haggadah graphic novel, now in production, God willing, for release next year. And of course, if you're having a simcha, a bar or bat mitzvah, a wedding, or some personal occasion or event for which you need the best in engaging and interactive Jewish acapella, please go to pellasingers.com, P-E-L-L-A, singers.com, and ask for GORF. And meanwhile, stay tuned here for more wonderful Jewish programming 24-6 on the Nachum Siegel Network, and I will be back with you next month on The World According to GORF. And let me wish all of you a Chag Sameach, Happy Shavuot, and of course, Shalom.
6: Shalom!